You are now listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Five, six, seven, eight. Holla, boys and girls, it's the BGN. Coming from the Marvel world to the DC friends. All the way from Hollywood to the PCN. She defends everyone from sleazy men. Won't apologize for spitting Shonda Rhimes. The space that we make is never colonized. We're talking games and movies that actors were. Better shake your booties for Black Girl Nerds. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host this week. We are pleased to present to you two incredible women behind one of the most powerful industries in entertainment, the modeling fashion industry. These are two filmmakers who have presented two documentaries that are about the modeling industry. First up is Beth Ann Hardison. Not only is she a filmmaker, but she's a former model herself. Her film, Invisible Beauty, shines a spotlight on the singular and unapologetic Hardison herself, one of the fashion industry's most influential icons, who as a pioneering black model, modeling agent, and entrepreneur, has pushed the boundaries of fashion, culture, and has been at the forefront of progress throughout her career. In her lifetime, Hardison has seen the pendulum swing toward and away from the black model. At every setback, she spoke up and rallied her colleagues and clients in the industry to advance change. Now in her 70s, the Brooklyn native is writing her memoir and taking stock of her own legacy at a moment when the fashion industry was shaken by discrimination. Her film, Invisible Beauty, opens in theaters on September 15th. Next up, we have filmmaker Nyla Jefferson. She has a new movie coming out called Danielle Luna Supermodel. The New Orleans-based filmmaker is intrigued and inspired by the enduring human spirit, whose films span fiction and nonfiction. Her acclaimed work has been distributed domestically and internationally on the film festival circuit, theatrically and televised. Her film, Danielle Luna Supermodel, explores the remarkable life and career of Danielle Luna, one of the first black models who graced the covers of both Vogue and Harper's Bazaar in Europe. The movie premieres September 13th on HBO. So if you love all things fashion, modeling, and black women that are pioneers, that are breaking barriers in their respective industries, this is one episode you certainly don't want to miss. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast featuring Beth Ann Hardison and Naila Jefferson. Hi, Bethann. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> I know it's probably a busy time for you, especially in the uh, campaign uh, season of getting this film ready to birth it to the world. So congratulations on Invisible Beauty, by the way. Excellent film. 
Oh, thank you so much. Everyone likes the film and that makes us all so happy. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, as, as Jackie said, I, I did see it during Sundance. It was one of the highlights of the documentaries that I was able to view. And um, I also featured it, we, we do curtain raisers here at Black Girl Nerds featuring, you know, the Black films that come to these different festivals. And I was, when I had highlighted yours, I was really uh, intrigued to see what this documentary was about because I know nothing about fashion. <laughs> I am fashion deficient. So I, I learned a lot while watching yeah. this. Yeah, everyone did. Even the ones who are in fashion and people who've known me 25, 30 years, they learned so much. So you're not you're not in the minority, you're in the majority. <laughs> what Bethian, what led you to want to take the role of a director to tell your story in, in the documentary Invisible Beauty? It was all because Frederick asked me to please do so. He asked me, would I please consider, he would, he would like to, to come on board to get the film off the ground, but he needed me and wanted me to come in as a co-director. He didn't want to tell someone's story who was standing live and well. And I loved his film that he did, um, The Eye Has to Travel about Mrs. Breland, but Mrs. Breland was already gone. She had passed away. So his interest was really basically if I could participate in many levels, it would be much more interesting for him because he's made film before, but not like that. Yeah. Uh, amazing. I, I loved seeing just this uh, microscope on your life and just different aspects of uh, not only you and your career and the trajectory of your career in fashion, but also uh, the intimate moments with you as a mother and then seeing Kadeem Hardison in the documentary, which by the way, did not know that he is your son. Did not you're, know that. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the majority on that too. <laughs> so, I, so I want to ask you this question. Um, I saw another documentary about Daniele Luna, uh, one of the first black models featured on, on the cover of Vogue magazine. And um in that documentary, you know, it talked about her uh, life story and how she hid her blackness and how that made her feel like she was put into a box. And some of that uh, was sort of kind of discussed in your documentary with, you know, some of the um, the conversations amongst the models. Did, did you experience that directly with the models that you worked with in your agency that were trying to market themselves in a way where they wanted to be seen as uh, models instead of black models to get that universal appear or appeal, or did you not really have that experience? Yeah, I never, I never marketed since I had a, well, I had a primarily white agency with black kids, Latin kids, and Asian kids in it. I never promoted my models as black models. You could see that they were black. Um, I never promoted them as black models. They, it, was, it was just obvious. If someone said, can I have a redhead? I'd send a redhead. They said, can I send a, can, do you have any black models? I send black models. But I didn't play the game of like, you know, we are black and you gotta be out there. You know, it, I knew it was gonna happen anyway. You know how things are just meant to be because it was the timing also. But no, uh, I think with Danielle, I knew her a little bit. So I, it was different for her because she was very exotic looking. Right. So, so people on the other side of the coin, say Caucasians, could easily think she was many other things. Mm -hmm. But I didn't see the stuff. 
Do they ask me to be part of it? I, you know, to speak, you know, to be interviewed, but I didn't, I couldn't because I didn't really relate to, uh, I didn't have a lot to say about uh, Danielle. That's why I didn't know much enough to say to really get myself to sit in front of a camera. And I, I think out of all the people they interview, I'm probably the only one who really knew it. Yeah, one of the interesting takeaways from that was um, they had Beverly Johnson uh, in there and she said she didn't even know who, about Danielle, She, but she was speaking in the documentary and kind of commenting about her life as well um, and just how she kind of paved the way in modeling. But you've paved the way in a lot of ways with what you've done to represent models and I I want to know about the landscape of the modeling industry and how that's significantly changed since you started. Do you think the industry is in a good place in terms of representation and inclusion today, or do we still have a long way to go? No, it's, it, as far as the model industry, yes, it's been very successful in that way. And it's very inclusive. And if you can see, the West African models are very, very successful. You know, you can't get any darker than those girls. And uh, and they all are working. The boys are working. So right now it's very all inclusive. And there's some models that, you know, were part of my, you know, my more nouveau Black Girls Coalition group, like Iman Hamam, Cindy Bruna, uh, even Riley Montana. I mean, she's taken off as a music singer. But the other two girls has a career. I mean, it's very hard for a model of color oftentimes to do editorial edit, you know, advertising beyond the runway and have a career at 10 years. These girls are doing it. Yeah. Do you think it has a lot to do? Cause you know, I think about it can be all systemic. Does it have to do with the fact that there are not enough black folks that are in the publications like the magazines and uh, advertising and marketing campaigns that are allowing these women to get the visibility that they need, that that plays a role. You mean, is that happening now or is that happening before? Now. I don't think that there's more uh, people in the, I think since, let's say, since Mr. Floyd Lusser's life, Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, more editors got into play, but they were, the girls were already there. They started coming in right before that, you know, since, you know, remember since 2014 to 2013, the whole industry started to change after those letters. So the girls were there, the models were there, the girls and the boys, I can't leave out my boys, the boys and the girls were there. Um, but I think that it's very good that behind the scenes, more editors, writers have come on that of color. You brought to the world Tyson Beckford, which by the way, just quick story. I used to have a Ralph Lauren polo advert in my binder when I was in school of Tyson Beckford. So thank you for that. Because yeah. if it weren't for you, I, I would not have had Tyson in my life. Um, um, and he, he was the first black male supermodel. And the strategy that you used to convince Ralph Lauren to use him in the campaign was very clever. What was it about Tyson that struck you when you first met him? I didn't have to, just so, you know, that's, that's everybody in, in the film tells stories in certain ways. But let me just tell you something. That was Ralph. Ralph took uh, Tyson from the time that Bruce photographed him and then showed the pictures to the advertising, in the advertising agency. They took interest in him. So then they showed it to, to Ralph. Ralph liked the kid. <clears throat> and 
He did that all on his own accord. I was just doing the normal things a model agent does. You need to see this kid. Oh, okay. If I say so, who's just gonna see him? Because I had a great eye. I didn't waste people's time. And so once he saw him, he, he saw it. And then he photographed them and he sent the pictures to the advertising agency. Advertising sent Ralph. And Ralph always stayed on it. We had that contract for five years. So that's a very unusual thing. That's history in itself. That's that's absolutely amazing. I, I just love seeing how his career started and, and seeing that highlighted in, in the documentary. Is is there a black female? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. What was that? I was going to say, no, you, I agree with you. If you could have seen the four hours of what we did, if we looked at it and I thought we could have done a whole episode just on Tyson. He, I feel like he, he should have his own documentary. It, it's a pretty profound story seeing how yeah. he kind of came into the world. That was true. But go ahead, you're gonna ask me something. Yeah, is there is there currently, like as of today, is there a black female or black male model that you're really impressed with? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, I'm still impressed with Cindy. I'm still impressed with Imam. I'm impressed with, um, I still like, uh, what's my little girl's name? Uh, she, she goes in and out of the industry a bit, uh, but I like a Duke. Um, I still like, I like a lot of the girls, but this, yeah. uh, I can't think of her name. The name is out of my head for a second, but yeah, there's another little girl I like. Oh, I'll always love the, the look of the, her look, but there's a lot of girls that are working and the, and the newer ones every, cause I am on, I do for model.com. I'm one of the people who they have every year, every season, pardon me, every season that selects the, the girls that are the ones who are up and coming, the ones who have had their first season, second season that you can, you know, recognize as being somebody who's, who's might to come, best to come. So I get a chance to see all the girls in that way. Um, I don't keep up with the industry like I used to because I don't have to. But they always make sure I know who is out there and then I can go through all the photographs and see all the runway shows and all. There's a lot of good girls out there. Absolutely. Uh, What's that document? I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. um, (laughs) See, there I go. I went to say his name and that went out of my head. But um, (laughs) the kid who's in, that was in also uh, the Elvis Presley movie, um, the black kid, Ashton. you know the young black boy? I think I know who you're talking The recent one that just came out, the Baz Luhrmann movie? Yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I don't, yeah. I don't know, I don't remember his name, but I know but who you're talking about. For him to come and have this, this, for him to be a male and to have this continue working and that people start, he keeps always winning best top model, you know, every, every year. And now they're really, the whole story done on him at GQ, I mean, so it really shows you that, you know, if you got the right stuff, you can, you can, you know, affect people. Absolutely. The, um, throughout the process of, uh, you know, crafting this documentary, this is about your life. This is your story. But did you learn anything new about yourself or how you were even perceived by others while you were putting this together? Well, I always think of it as not as my life story, but more a story. <laughs> this is a story. Um, and the, the pertinent story is the common thread, which is the advocacy, the activism. But yes, I learned 
to get out of my own way. It took a while. I, I really didn't think I had a story. I mean, I just was doing the film. I, you know, I could hear what people saying in the past before, you know, before Frederick came along, I knew people were saying, you should so much to do a documentary on you. And I was like, <laughs> I was already working on another film. I, I, nah. But I, once I decided it would be easier to probably create a film from beginning to end about me, I decided to do it. But I really didn't know I had the archives. I didn't know if I had enough of anything to make a story that would really be profound. So once the film is done and you go to all of these film festivals and listen to all of these people in the Q and A's and see how you affected people, the life that you may have, the way your story is told, how some people just feel like they haven't done enough in life or some people feel like they need to reinvent themselves. Some mothers get up and say, you know, I'm struggling. I'm so happy to see that because I'm also a mother and I'm, in the, I, I'm also working on my career trying to manage my child. You know, there's so many levels and sort of like flows of the film that it's not a fashion film for sure. It's just fashion related, but it's definitely much more than that. And so I, what I learned about myself really was that um, I need to make sure <laughs> this is a legacy film with nothing else that you need to leave it, you know, in an institute somewhere that it can be seen for, you know, perpetuity, so forever, by any young person or old person who wants to see or learn something. Absolutely. My last question, in the documentary, you are referred to as the godmother of fashion. And you've changed the way how beauty has been defined in the modeling industry. What are you most proud of so far with the legacy that you've built? Hmm. Well, I think hmm, that's a very good question. What am I most proud of with Alexia? Hmm. I think the courage. I mean, I think, of, I don't know. Well, I have to say my industry. I, I'll give it to the industry. I'm proud of the fact that I could actually poke them and they respond. I'm proud of the fact that, you know, you know, you know, I knew I knew I could but it took a lot of time and energy to get back on that horse, you know? So sometimes you have to just, you just gotta be the one to do it. And I'm very proud of the industry that they responded immediately. And that was what was most important to me. So I'm very proud of that. Well, thank you for the fight. Thank you for representing black women in the modeling agency. You've really changed the way how people see and actually give visibility to women in that industry and Invisible Beauty, such an incredible documentary, comes out September 15th. I can't wait for everybody else to see it. And thank you, Beth Ann, for this conversation. It was really a pleasure talking to you today. And you're lovely and I'm glad you're smart. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that so you're much. Great. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm going to say hello to Kadeem and Tyson. Please do give them my love. <laughs> I love. I love. Thank you very Bye, much. Bye, everyone. Bye, Jackie. Bye, y'all. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. I, I have to say, I a colleague of mine had briefly talked to me about your film and kind of summarized, which really doesn't give the overall scope of what this film was about, but it intrigued me. Mm -hmm. He told me that 
you know, this is a film, you should check out this movie about this supermodel who's a black woman who really didn't want to be seen as black. Mm-hmm. And that was very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see it right away. And we're going to get to that part of the conversation a little bit later. But right. I saw this film, it screened at ABFF, American Black Film Festival in Miami, and absolutely blown away by it. So mm-hmm. I, I want to first ask you, how did you get involved with the production of this documentary about the life of Danielle Luna? Well, um, in 2017, I had a film at the American Black Film Festival. It was a short film that was under the ABFF um, HBO Shorts Film Program. Uh, the name of it was Plaquemines. It was a fiction film, but that's how I was introduced to ABFF and Jeff Friday. He really, really liked the film. And I remember, at, you know, at some point during the whole uh, festival, because they do a lot with us while we're there. It's a really great festival for um like filmmakers, but at one point we were all on stage and we were just talking about our careers. And I mentioned that I work in uh, nonfiction as well. And Jeff came up to me after and I was thinking, what does he want? <laughs> because you know, he's like the founder of the festival. And he was like, you know, I'm launching this um, diversity initiative with Lightbox. And, you know, you work on documentaries. I think you should apply. And at the time I had a film that's actually funny enough it's gonna premiere at the New Orleans Film Festival in uh, November. But I had a film then that I pitched to Lightbox and um, ABFF and they passed. Um, and they actually went with a film called, called Storm Over Brooklyn. I'm sorry, this is a very long story. I couldn't make it short. No, that's I fine. Say the whole thing. Our yes. listeners are gonna love every bit of it. Okay, great. <laughs> so the first film that came out of that initiative was uh, Storm Over Brooklyn. Um, the Yusef Hawkins story. And so that premiered in 2020, I believe. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, the summer of 2020 at Tribeca. So that was the very first film that came out. But um, Jeff wanted to, he just wanted to find a way for us to work. And so another film that was pitched during that initiative was the story of Danielle Luna. And it was pitched by our producers, Melissa Kramer and <laughs> Issa Hussein Harris. They had this project. Uh, they were working at Uptown Magazine years ago. It was like eight years they've been trying to get this project off the ground. And um, they just they just knew that this was a dynamic woman, a model that they'd never heard of, and they didn't understand the why. So they've been, I think, talking to people here and there. But Jeff and Jonathan Chen over at Lightbox really um, thought it was a fantastic idea. So when was this? Now, this is this is during the quarantine. So this is during COVID. Jeff calls me and he was like, listen, we got a call with HBO. I want you to pitch this movie. Um, and so I started to do my research on Danielle. And I found her so interesting. Like when I grew up, I used to watch, and I'm dating myself. I used to watch E when they would have runway shows, me and my little yes, sister. Right. Me too. And, right. <laughs> and so I really enjoyed that. And um, and so I was really into models when I was younger when Vogue Italia had their black issue. Like we made sure to get a copy. Like that, I was that girl, but I was surprised that I'd never heard of Danielle Luna. Um, so the fashion part already had me, but then when I read about her story, I was super intrigued, um, for many of the reasons when you said someone kind of gave you the summary as a black model who didn't want to see, be seen as black. I thought this was interesting. Um, but beyond that, I wanted to know the why, um, and had it not been for HBO greenlighting this project and us finally talking to Danielle's friends and family, because that's the other thing, like there's so much information, well, not a lot. It's information on the 
internet, it's pretty repetitive, but I think it's very surface. You don't get to the core of who she is and what motivated her, right? Um, and so once I was able to get beyond, you know, HBO Green led the project and I was I'd be able to get beyond uh, the Wikipedia page and I got to meet family, got to meet friends, talk to them and really delve into who she was. Um, I thought she was just so fascinating and extraordinarily complex. Um, but just one of the most fascinating people that I think I've ever learned about. Um, and as a filmmaker, you know, you're like, oh, this is amazing. This is definitely, you know, a story that I can sink my teeth into. Fascinating is the perfect word to describe mm -hmm. her, this documentary. And, and it is like a hidden figure story because mm -hmm. none mm -hmm. of us know who she is. And even right. the subjects in your documentary didn't know who she was. Mm -hmm. um, we, we see Beverly Johnson, who's in this documentary. Um, and I actually watched this with my mom and she oh, looked in... Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we watched it together. She lived in New York City at the time when Danielle mm -hmm. was in her prime as a model. She never heard of Danielle never, Luna. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was eye-opening for her. And, you know, as I mentioned, Beverly Johnson's in the documentary, and she even states that she had never heard of, of mm -hmm. Danielle, which I found fa fascinating. Why mm -hmm. do you think that she was such an unknown to so many people? Well, I think she was unknown just because of the time, right? This is uh, early 60s. She becomes a, a star, I want to say, in 64 is when she gets her first cover. Um, and you have to think about the other things that Black people were experiencing during that time. We kind of, I don't think we were able to really celebrate um, things like the first Black person on the cover of mainstream magazine. That kind of wasn't, as far as African-Americans, that wasn't top priority for us. So I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, another reason is because she was only in the States for so long as a model. Um, she left in 65 and she goes to um, Europe. And then she's there. You know, she comes back home every once in a while, but she's basically in Europe until her life ends in 1979. So that was the second reason. And then I think the third reason is um, as far as why Black people didn't know her is because she didn't always claim her Blackness. Um, one thing that was interesting as I got to kind of read her journals um, and read the stories that she created, in one of them, she refers to herself as a little colored girl. So I do think as time went on, and it, that's the other thing about Luna. She's just so curious. I think a lot of times she played with us. She might have been ahead of the curve as far as like what to do for publicity and how to make people like really lean in and intrigue people. So as much as she denied maybe her blackness to a degree, I do think that she knew who and what she was. But I do also think that she wanted to kind of um, not deal with the race issue which which is in a way fair. Let's dig into that a little bit because, you know, mm -hmm. the, one of the more controversial pieces of Danielle's life is the fact that she never quite identified with being Black. Mm -hmm. And um, we see that depicted in this documentary. Was there any trepidation on your part as a filmmaker to broach that issue without tarnishing the reputation of Danielle herself? No, I think we had to because it's, it's one of the first things that you read when you kind of just do a quick Google search about her, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, that's something I think that a lot of people are aware of. 
And so, no, I knew we had to. And I think that's the other thing. There's so many documentaries that are coming out now about celebrities. And sometimes people are unwilling to broach the things that may turn people off um, or broach the subjects that are harder to, are not as palatable. Um, but that's that's kind of not fair to the audience that we're asking to consume what we're putting out. I think we owe it to them to tell a full story um, as much as we can with the budget that we have and with the time that we have. Um, so I just knew that was something that we could not we just couldn't brush over it. We had to face it. Um, and I think it's it's a hard issue, uh, but I think I'm also very, I, I try not to be judgmental of anybody that I'm doing a film about. And so I think we just, I, and I also don't try and explain it away. I just give it to you as it was and yeah. you can take from it what you want. You know, I think that's fair. I mean, it, it's presented with such grace and integrity because you do um, this beautiful timeline of her life where we see how she grew up. And that, I think, tells a story in and of itself of why she felt that way about mm -hmm. her identity, because she was even kind of rejected by her own community growing mm -hmm. up. Um, mm -hmm. And that tells its own story. Mm -hmm. So there's also this uh, very emotional scene where Beverly Johnson uh, mm -hmm. breaks down into tears where she reads from Danielle's journal as mm -hmm. um, how, you know, Danielle was treated into how she was treated in the industry. First, I, I, I wanted to ask, was that you asking questions off camera? Yes. You know, that's so funny because my dad is sitting next to me at the premiere and he said, is that you talking? And I'm like, you raised me. How do you not know my voice? <laughs> but yes, that was me asking the question. Yeah. And and second, what what was that experience like filming with Beverly that day? Because that scene was just so gut-wrenching because she kept yeah. saying over and over as she's holding back tears, I'm not a crier, I'm not a crier. Mm -hmm. And then you're seeing those tears well up. Um, yeah. What, yeah, what was those moments like? You know, before we went into uh, the shoot, I had gotten that archive that's from um, Richard Avedon's archive where he talks about this conversation that he had um, about Luna, right? And um, it was a conversation that he had with uh, Deanna Vreeland and basically her rejection of Luna and, and the why. And so before the shoot, we knew we wanted to bring it up to Beverly. We just didn't quite know how. Um, and and one somebody suggested maybe we should have her read it. And so that's what I thought I would do. I thought we'd go in and we'd have her read it. Um, and I was like, hey, Beverly, there's one thing I want you to read. And she was like, I don't have my glasses. Why don't you read it to me? And I'm so glad we did, because I think you can just see you can you can see her taking it in and digesting it and processing it. And then you feel you just feel all the emotion because she didn't expect it. Um, and I don't think anybody, once they hear what was said, um, what the exchange was of that conversation, I don't think anybody expected that at all. Um, so, you know, just watching her process that, I felt like in that moment, because Luna couldn't be with us, this she's giving us the reaction that Luna would have had. Um, and then I also feel like Beverly spoke for so many Black models that had to deal with racism back in their day um, and then are dealing with racism now. And so in that moment, I felt like Beverly embodied every Black model that has had to deal with this industry 
that sets us up against these white standards of beauty um, that, you know, that don't allow us to reach our full potential. Um, and so it was incredibly emotional. It was very unexpected. Um, we just, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know that's how that would go, but I'm so grateful to, to Beverly because I do think that's a real emotional turning point in the film. And again, as she says, she was like, it's all the ancestors. It's all of us. Like in that moment, she's speaking for every black woman who's had to endure um, during in the modeling industry, any type of racism and discrimination. And I'm sure there was probably a lot of boxed in emotions and memories of Beverly's own oh, experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bubbled up to the surface in that moment because mm -hmm. when she said that I'm not a crier, and then you just see those tears coming mm -hmm. down. I, mm -hmm. um, that that was heartbreaking because I, I know that yeah. was probably hard for her to just become very emotional when she's trying to hold that back. So yeah, um, yeah. Thank you for sharing such a, a raw emotional moment. Uh, I always find that biographical documentaries about public figures. Mm -hmm. to be very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I recently spoke with Alan Hughes about mm -hmm. his documentary that mm -hmm. he did about Tupac. Um, and his mother, Isn't it fantastic? Oh. Oh. I mean, they were able to capture like all of the erratic nature <laughs> and the chaos of Tupac in the editing. I thought that was like brilliant. So good. So good. And it, it exposes the genius of this man. And mm -hmm. I didn't, no, like I thought I knew everything about Tupac, but just even more was uncovered and exposed mm -hmm. in, life in that. So a very notable figure, right? Mm -hmm. So in the case of Danielle is someone most people never heard of. Mm -hmm. what, what do you hope will stick with people about her life after watching your documentary? I hope that people really lean into kind of the artist that she was and just how she the just how unique she was and these people should be celebrated and uplifted um I think that's one of the biggest things and then I also think just there were things that she went through back then that we didn't have the vocabulary for right um there's a trauma that she endured at home there's a trauma that she endured with her community and all of that made her who she was and that motivated her decisions, ones that we liked and ones that we, you know, didn't. Um, but I think now that we kind of have a, a, a broader understanding of her, I think we can accept her um, fully for all that she was. And, and that's kind of the big tragedy of her life. When she died, she had been rejected so many times. Um, she just wasn't embraced and loved in the way that she should have been. But I think now that we have a better understanding and grasp of um, mental health, I think we're more willing to confront um, racism, especially in the now within the modeling industry um, and other things like that. I think that she can just be really fully embraced as a, a full human being and not just the beauty. Right. Because, I mean, she was that was the easy part. You could see her and say, oh, my God because she's so striking. Um, but she was so much more than that. She was incredibly inventive and creative. And I just wish she would have been more supported here on earth because I think she could have done so much more, so much more. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a heartbreaking story, but also it's very empowering just seeing that, you know, here is the first black woman that's on the cover of 
uh, Harper's Bazaar and, and just being able to create a path for so many other Black women in the modeling industry. So um, very revolutionary on that end. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I wish she'd gotten the support that she deserved um, when she was alive. Naila, thank you so much for bringing Danielle into the world with this documentary. I really hope that a lot of people watch it and uh, that there's more eyes and scrutiny on who she is and who she was and that there's more stories told about her because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's so many of us that just didn't know about her life and, and who she represented in the in the fashion industry. And uh, this this documentary is just so remarkable in that way. And and again, thank you for taking the time to talk to Black Girl Nerds. It, it's such a beautiful piece of work that you've created. Thank you so much for having me. I love I love everything that you're doing. And hopefully this is just the first of many conversations we'll have. Absolutely. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. You take care. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find various episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Audioboom, Google Play Music, and Spotify.